Welcome everybody to another run past the brain cell. Jake, we are heading into the conference championship games after a pretty thrilling weekend of divisional round action this past week. How are we feeling? Feeling pretty good. You know, my Packers did lose, but they beat the two seed in the Cowboys and they nearly came within a missed field goal of at least going to overtime with the one seat. So I'm excited for my Packers for the next cup for what the future holds with Jordan Love, with this young receiving core, finally not having Joe Barry on the staff anymore. He had moments where he would look like a good DC, but he was too inconsistent. So I'm glad they finally got rid of him. So I'm glad to see my Packers moving on in the right direction, even though they did lose, but we both said that we wouldn't even think they made the playoffs at the beginning of the year. I think our ceiling was seven and ten or eight and nine. Yes, that I if I remember right, we both said about eight and nine. And what I re really wanted to mention, Jake, also is we did not have as good a weeks as we did last week. Uh, after going six and zero oh in the wild card round, I struggled a little bit. Went two and two, eight and two overall, same as I actually was uh, last year going into the conference championship games, but uh, you were one in three and that puts you at five and five throughout the playoffs. So, I mean, not bad. You're 500, but as we get closer to the Super Bowl, we're only three weeks away now. Hey, I'm curious to see Mike, what we'll... <laughs> just call me the Mike Tomlin of the podcaster guessers. No, I'm going to call you the Jason Garrett prediction predictor. Perfectly 500. But, Jake, well, let's recap what happened in those divisional round games. And we'll start off with the Saturday games, which the first one was Ravens hosting the Texans, Baltimore. Hey, it was a close game early on. It was actually a 10-10 game at halftime. But, Jake, fourth quarter, Baltimore hits the gas pedal, and they win comfortably 34-10 over Houston. Jake, what was your takeaway from this game? The Texans did very good holding up in the first half, and I was impressed. They held that vaunted game. They held the vaunted offense of the Ravens in check, and then the second half hit, and just they blew the doors off the hinges with their running attack. And I mean, shit. The Ravens this year have looked very good with their passing attack. They, the, tech, the Texans held their leading receiver to four catches and 41 yards. So they did great stopping the receiving and the big plays on that end. The rushing attack, they just couldn't handle. I think that this offseason you're going to see them target either a very athletic pass rusher or an outside backer that can help kind of like be a quarterback spy or really a quarterback contained type kind of guy, whether it's that's free agency or in the draft. But if you actually look at their stats, they actually got home with four sacks. So, I mean, you really can't be mad about that. And, oh, sorry, three sacks. But I think the thing that I am the most impressed with and Texans fans – you have something good here, not only with your quarterback, not only with your young receiving, young receivers, but 
think about this, Adam. They went against two of the top five defenses in the league in back-to-back weeks. The Browns with Miles Garrett and the Ravens with not they really had that one star-studded guy like the Browns with Miles Garrett, but they got a lot of dudes on that D-line for pass rush. They didn't give up a single sack either of these weeks. That O-line, I don't know if it's just the offensive coordinator or if it's their freaking offensive lines coach, but whoever is making that O-line play like this needs to get a raise. Well, that's very true. They did not give up a sack, which is really impressive against a defense like the Ravens, which has been the number one scoring defense. And that, I mean, you look at the Ravens as a whole, Jake, they didn't even get a turnover off of, um, off of the Texans. CJ Stroud, he was solid, but the problem is, Jake, while the Ravens didn't get a sack, CJ Stroud was running for his life pretty often. 19 to 33 for 175, but no touchdowns, no interceptions. They held the the Ravens held the Houston offense out of the end zone. The touchdown came off of a Steven Sims punt return, which you know that John Harbaugh was furious about because you can't have you can't be a special teams coach before you were a head coach, and that happens. But Jake, think about this. You you're right in that Lamar didn't have the flashiest numbers through the air, but he did have two passing touchdowns, one to Isaiah Likely and one to Nelson Aguilar. That one to Aguilar, I was shocked he caught because that was a heater from pretty short. But Lamar had 11 carries for 100 yards on the ground and two touchdowns, 9.1 yards a carry. And Jake, what I find really interesting is there really was no one person gashing the Texans on the ground because Lamar had 100, but Justice Hill had 13 carries for 66, and Gus Edwards chipped in 10 for 40. How we even had Dalvin Cook, Jake, get eight carries for 23 yards. Grand total, 42 rushes for 229 yards and two touchdowns at 5.5 a clip. When I look at that, Jake, this lets you know that. The Ravens are multifaceted. Lamar can beat you in the pocket with his arm, but this team also has a stable of options when it comes to running the football. And heading into this next week against Kansas City, who has shown they can be ran on, I would look for the Ravens to, if they spot a weakness in that defense, to continue this rushing pace. I think Lamar can beat that secondary as well moving forward, but I would also look at the fact that Lamar was pretty efficient. 16 to 22. I mean, what? He's completing eight of every 11 passes. It's pretty good, but you're right. I would say Zay Flowers, you definitely would want him to step up a little bit more. Like you said, four catches for only 41 yards. But Jake, on the Houston side, I do think that what you're really going to want to target, whether it be free agency or in the draft, whether it be middle rounds or late rounds, you need a running back for CJ Stroud. Devin Singletary ain't it. He had his moments where he had 30 carry games during the season, and he was able to make the most of it for the most part. But nine carries for 22 yards in a big game like this, you, you 
you can't have that. Now, Nico Collins, he looked okay. I mean, he led the team in targets pretty handily, but he only had five catches for 68. And when I look at this, Jake, I also think that when I, when you quantify what the Texans did, they did get a little lucky with Jacksonville falling apart because Jacksonville was handily in the lead in their division. Now, I think moving forward, Jake, also instead of, as well as a running back, I don't know if you necessarily need a athletic edge or a freak linebacker, but I will say this. I believe Patrick Queen might be a free agent, Jake. So if Baltimore does not franchise him or sign him, Houston could maybe try and steal him away. And because you have CJ Stroud on that rookie deal, you could give him a big deal. I think what we're going to see, Jake, is a very bright future for the Texans. Like I said last week, I'd be surprised if you could see them maybe winning that division, depending on what their record looks like, the schedule. We did have the teams be released of who they'd be playing. I don't remember what divisions they got, but I do think that if that schedule favors well for them, I wouldn't be surprised because of this weak division, which I do think it's still a weak division because we don't know how Anthony Richardson is going to look coming off of that injury and Trevor Lawrence was battered and bruised and then while well, the Titans are the Titans. I think they could potentially go 6-0 and in their division and maybe look at a number one seed because the AFC can just cannibalize each other. But overall, Baltimore, dominant team. Houston, young. They should absolutely be proud of what they did with a rookie quarterback and rookie head coach. But Jake, let's move on to the second game of the Saturday slate. And this is a game that pretty sure that everyone watching this game could say Green Bay let slip. Green Bay went to San Fran, Santa Clara, California in Levi Stadium. But the Packers fall to the Niners 21 to 24. And Jake, this game. I'm going to let you go first because this is your team. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Uh, my biggest takeaway is just, you know, Jordan Love faced an elite defense that actually played like an elite defense. The first pick, that was just a good play by Greenlaw. And the second pick, that was him just feeling like he had to play hero ball. And it just got, it was just off the back foot, and he just sailed it, and it just got picked off. One of those things where quarterback in his first year starting did really good in the in the actual regular season, beat the Cowboys, first time seven seats ever made it to the divisional, and it starting out. I mean, if you if you just throw out that that hero ball pick. And you just say, like, all right, so 21 for 34, 194, and two touchdowns, one pick. That was a stat line. You can live with that. But, I mean, Romeo Dobbs played really good. Bo Melton had a touchdown. Tucker Kraft, again, showing he has really good chops. You didn't give up a single sack as well, which that's really good. This young O-line 
without David Bakhtiari is improving and they're gelling as a unit, which I love to see. Romeo Dobbs is showing out that he could potentially be maybe if Watson's not healthy, which the last two years he has had a bit of a naked scratch issue with injury. And Dobbs has shown out to be potentially that number one. Now, is he a true number one? I don't think so, but he's a damn good number two that can slot in as a number one for temporary stuff. But I think the bigger picture is you have an elite run defense with the 49ers. Aaron Jones just kicked their ass. 18 attempts for 108 yards. Damn. That's pretty good. And I want your take on this. Is Kayshawn Nixon like the unsung hero for the Packers so far in this season? I do think that he played extremely well throughout the season. Um, I honestly think he should have had a pick. He had a really big opportunity at one. I will say this, though, Jake, that fumble. What a recovery. What a recovery by Eric Wilson, because he blew Full speed, landed on it. It didn't bounce off of him anything. And the fact that he was able to recover that fumble and keep Green Bay in that game was shocking. It was. But what would you kind of think what they'd want to do in the offseason? Because I think they need to look at, I think their biggest thing is get a linebacker or secondary help in the draft. And maybe look at a running back as well. Like, if we got Blake Corum out of Michigan, that would be a fantastic uh, running back because Jones is getting older. He has gotten bruised pretty good these last couple years with his injuries. When he's healthy, he's great. But he's an older running back. And... You can release him and probably save a bit of cap. I haven't looked at his contract recently, but Blake Corum does kind of show flashes of Aaron Jones. Whether he is going to be Aaron Jones, that's up for debate. But that's kind of what I think they need to do in the offseason. What do you think, Adam? Well, so Jake, I do think what you mentioned was a little interesting about Blake Corum. I'm going to float something to you that you mentioned during our midseason trade speculation. What do you think about Derrick Henry? Because if you think about this, your skill position players, Jake, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Bo Melton, Dontavian Wicks, Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, all on rookie deals. You still have cap space to be able to try and bolster a roster and bring in veteran presence. I don't think we've seen any sign of Derrick Henry slowing down. I know he had a rough year this year, but Jake, if you think about it, Tennessee, they basically were facing 11-man boxes because no one trusted Ryan Tannehill, no one trusted Malik Willis, and no one trusted Will Levis because Malik Willis, last time we saw him, was awful. Will Levis was a rookie, and Ryan Tannehill, he's just not it. He, He... has had a fine career, but it's time to move on. But Jake, I think Derrick Henry would be a welcome presence. And I will say this, Aaron Jones, 
you could let him go, but I still think that he has plenty of value. Now, I will say this, Jake, when it comes to Jordan Love, if you remember early on in the season, I was one of his biggest critics because what I saw was wildly erratic, inaccurate, sometimes seemed like he could get a little panicky in the pocket, and I just did not like anything that I saw. But what we saw, I think, is arguably the best, the greatest midseason development we've ever seen. Because from week eight, week nine on, he was arguably the best quarterback in football. I mean, if you just look at the stats. Now, I do think that last pick was, I, I keep hearing that, you know, we see Jake, his mechanics are very similar to uh, Aaron Rodgers, where, you know, throwing off his back foot, weird arm angle throws. That last pick was Farvian, where running across the field, throwing across his body back into the middle of the field, and it gets picked. A little more Farvian, and I think Jordan Love is a bit more of a Farv like uh, quarterback because of the fact that. He's more of a gunslinger. He's not afraid to throw picks, kind of like how Aaron was afraid to throw picks. He really, really protected that touchdown to interception ratio when once he got a little older. But, Jake, I think Green Bay's future is extremely bright. I can't say the same about San Francisco because when you think about what happened in this game, Brock Purdy should have thrown a pick six in the first quarter. Darnell Savage had that in his bread basket and he just flat dropped it. And we could be having a completely different conversation here because Brock Purdy, Jake, in that rain, he looked bad. He looked really bad. Now, he had a very nice final drive. However, what I would argue, they did take the ball kind of out of his hands and give it more to Christian McCaffrey. I look at Brock Purdy and... I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's an elite quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he is more like Kirk Cousins than he is like, you know, a Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, a guy like that. I think Brock Purdy, he does benefit from having Chris McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon IU, Debo Samuel. Kyle Shanahan calling plays. I do think that he benefits from that. And we have seen that. I do think, Jake, when you look at also how much they really, how much they really leaned on Christian McCaffrey late in the game, there's a reason why Brock Purdy did say that Christian McCaffrey was the MVP. And you can say, oh, you know, teammate sticking up for teammate. I genuinely think Brock Purdy thinks a little bit, at least a little bit, that Christian McCaffrey is the best player on this team. Now, Jake, the reason why I also say I don't think the future is bright for San Francisco is you highlighted it. Aaron Jones had 18 carries for 108 yards. As a team, they had 136 off of 28 carries, just under five yards a carry. Jake, you can run on this San Fran defense. I told you this when they faced the Cardinals the second time and they had 
200 yards rushing against San Fran. I said, I do not like this rush defense for the 49ers. I think that it could be their undoing. Now they're going to be heading into the championship game, Jake, and we know the team that they're facing. The Detroit Lions have two studs at running back, and that O-line is extremely good. They got road graders. I do, do. Think, I do think that when you look at San Fran's defense, Jake, I want you to ask, answer me this. When did you think heading into this season, we would be talking about the San Francisco defense, particularly the front seven as a potential weakness for this team and the potential reason they don't make it to the Super Bowl? Honestly, I didn't think we would talk about it just because, I mean, their front seven is so vaunted and so great, and they have all the star power. I think in the run game, that's where you're going to see them struggle. I think in the pass game, they're still great. They got two damn good linebackers, and you can do a lot with that in coverage. But the run game, I mean, Green Bay's line is it, Green Bay's line is good, like it always is. But the Lions is great. Um. And their running back tandem is better than our running back tandem. Because they got two legit guys. We only have one. Jameer Gibbs so, is special. He is. But I think you said it best. I think with those two running backs, this game, if it is going to be won by the Lions, I think if they can control the clock and keep that Niners offense off the field as long as possible, just run the ball. I short think yardage. Be it. Yeah, I don't think they're going to I think they're going to take this game not not entirely out of Jared Goff's hands, but I think they're going to rely on the run game a little bit more and maybe like some deep play action shots to Amonra or Laporta. But before we move on to the next game, I have one running back free agent I want to run by you for okay. the Packers potentially. Okay. Imagine DeAndre Swift who goes to the Packers. He's 25 years old. He kind of fits that slasher type role that Aaron Jones is. Pretty good in the backfield with catching the ball, too. He's probably not going to cost that much. Like, I'm looking at kind of like the market value for what he'll get. He's averaging 5.6 to 6.5 a year on a contract. So give him two, three-year contract worth, yeah, let's say 17.5, 18 mil. I think potentially... The reason why I would be a little iffy on that is, Jake, we saw that, I mean, the Eagles O-line isn't bad. I do think that it came down to more of Brian Johnson's play calling. I do think that was a bit more of an issue. But when I look at this rushing attack, it's a lot more of a downhill attack, a little bit more smash mouth rather than slasher. I think that now Derrick Henry, the reason why I threw him out is because you can really use him for anything because he still has that track speed to get gone very quickly. And we saw Aaron Jones break off a 53 yarder and he was just flying. But Jake, 
I do think also this is a little dark horse one for Green Bay. What if Austin Eckler goes to Green Bay? Because then you also have a guy who Jake, he has more touchdowns than anyone since like 2019, 2020. And it's not even close. He has like 20 more touchdowns than the next closest. I think that Austin Eckler, Jake, he can run, but he can also catch very well out of the backfield. And I think that if you do keep Aaron Jones, you need a better third down back, a guy who you can get the ball to in space and let him make plays. Austin Eckler fits that billing to a T. But Jake, moving, moving on to the Sunday slate. And the first game of that day was the Lions Buccaneers. Now, Jake, I appreciate the fact that you went out on a limb and picked the Buccaneers because if you remember, I did give you a little shit for it. Now, Detroit won 31-23 against Tampa Bay, but Baker Mayfield did not embarrass himself. I thought he played pretty damn well, all things considered. But, Jake, looking at Detroit, I want to start things off with this. Do you think that this Detroit team potentially is the better team against the 49ers? You could definitely make that case because, I mean, Trevarius Ward is a damn good corner. He's probably going to be training Amonra most of the game. And Laporta... He's nicked up, but fuck, he's going to be junked up on Portal probably. So he actually can play like he was this game. So I don't know if, how big of an impact Laporte is going to have. I mean, we've seen him go up against great linebacker units this year, and he's performed decent. Not great, but I don't know how he's going to perform against a two headed monster that is Dre Greenlaw and uh, Fred Warner. So it'll be interesting. I think the bigger thing is like, how are you going to deal with Jameer coverage or Jameer Gibbs in coverage when he gets the ball in space? Because Talanoa Hufunga was kind of that guy who was like that Cam Chancellor type role. He's at strong safety in the box. He's that additional soft backer. He's the money backer pretty much. And he will be in there to help get in between the blocks, be that faster unit and stop the run or stop a screen pass in his tracks. Who he's not in this game. And with how Aaron Glenn and we have talked shit about Aaron Glenn a lot throughout this year. He is making some unique pressure packages with his defensive backs. Ifutu Melifonwu and Brian Branch got two and a half sacks combined against the Bucks, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson came back and had a pick. Derek Barnes even had a pick. So you got a fairly young defense with their secondary playing out of their mind, not just stopping the pass, but also sacking the quarterback. So Aaron Glenn is turning it up at the exact right moment that he needs to. You have to get creative with these high-powered offenses. These offenses that have multiple answers to these type of defenses. You, you can't play a basic cover two scheme or a basic defensive scheme against these type of guys. You have to get innovative 
and you have to, I wouldn't say outsmart, but outcreate Kyle Shanahan. Of all things, this could be Aaron Glenn's biggest assignment of his career so far because it's the biggest game of his career as a DC. And, I mean, let's see what happens. I think Goff will do good. It's just like, how are you going to cover everything that the Niners can throw at you? Because they have Debo healthy. They have George Kittle. They have Christian McCaffrey. They have Brandon Ayuk. And Jawan Jennings is a fucking beast, too. And he's a motherfucker in the run game as well. On the Buccaneer side, you said it best. I think Mayfield played very good. The two picks, yeah, you're going to get that with Baker because it's just the type of quarterback he is. He's going to throw it, and he's going to leave it up to his receivers to get it. But he was under pressure quite often because, like we, like I said, Aaron Glenn was sending the house at him with his DBs, mostly his safeties. But I think the biggest thing is you have three big guys coming up on contract, four big guys coming up on contract for the Buccaneers with Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, Levante David, and uh, Devin White. So, Adam, my question to you is, out of those four, who do you keep? Because you can't, I don't think you can afford all of them. If you can, you're going to be up against the cap uh, quite a bit. So, I really think, so Baker, I think, the Bucks would be foolish to not sign Baker Mayfield again. And the reason why I say that is because what we saw from Baker Mayfield, Jake, is the fact that, this was his fourth team, and I think this is honestly the best fit that he has ever had. Because what we've seen, Jake, is this team sort of embody the chippiness, the underdog mentality that Baker has. I mean, 26 of 41, 349, three touchdowns, and two picks. Now, the CJ Gardner Johnson pick was a tip ball that he just was Johnny on the spot for. Now, I will say this, I, I'm i not going to give him too much shit over the final pick because I there's a part of me that I just don't think he saw Derek Barnes because Barnes undercut that ball and it, he looked like the intended tight end on that play. He looked like K-Dot, but I do think, Jake, you have to re-sign him I think you have to try and figure out how to get Mike Evans back. I think Levante David, I'm not ruling out the fact that Levante David could retire, Jake. He has played very well, but he is getting up there in age. And Devin White, I don't think they're going to retain because, Jake, what we saw was KJ Britt was playing far more snaps than Devin White. And we've seen Devin White blitz more from that middle backer position, but KJ Britt was doing that he essentially took over his role and KJ Britt is a fantastic thumper in the run game as well and he's able to diagnose where the ball is going and make plays that's why he had 12 total tackles just behind Levante's 13. I think Jake that if I'm Tampa Devin White's gonna be gone I try and get Baker. I think Baker's probably going to get about a three-year deal around 40-ish. And I think you have to try and retain Mike Evans. 
if you can't re-sign him, I think you trade him. You could get maybe a late first or at worst a second rounder for him because, Jake, we've seen he's had 10 straight thousand yard seasons and I don't think that he's shown really too much of a sign of slowing down. Now, I will say he did have a bit of a drop issue in the in these last two games that he was in. A big one, that's what caused the pick by C.J. Gardner-Johnson was just a tip off the hands of Evans into the waiting arms of C.J. But, yeah, that's my sort of thoughts on the Bucks. But, Jake, I think as far as Detroit goes, it's going to be interesting seeing as Jared Goff moves forward, how he performs on the road because Detroit is six and two at home. Whereas, you know, they're six and three away, which isn't bad, but you look at that. I really think that this Jared Goff, we've seen, he's a different quarterback at home as opposed to on the road. He does go a bit into the tank, but I do think that what is going to help is Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery running the ball. Jameer Gibbs only had nine carries, Jake, and yet he had 74 yards and a touchdown. David Montgomery chipped in 10 for 33. Wasn't as big of a factor, but he was at least somewhat effective with running the ball. I do think this is key, though, Jake. Amon Ra, St. Brown, and Sam Laporta combined for 25 targets and 17 catches. The next closest targets was a three-way tie between Jameer Gibbs, Jamison Williams, and David Montgomery. I do think that Amon Ra will probably see a lot of Charvarius Ward. And Sam Laporta, Jake, he led the team in catches with nine. I do think that he will be effective because you are going to have to respect that running game. If Detroit can get into the play action that they love to run and force Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw to come up to try and stop the run, I do think we will see the middle of the field pretty open for Sam Laporta to operate, and that's where I would be extremely worried if I'm the 49ers. And like you said, Aaron Glenn has had fantastic blitz packages with his DBs. I actually wanted to highlight that, especially because what I noticed, Jake, was they were able to get Afitu Malafonwu and Brian Branch a bit more outside of the end and force the tackle to basically honor, basically isolate the tackle and choose him to pick who was the free rusher. That's why Aiden Hutchinson also had a sack because he, and Aiden Hutchinson He had a lot of free shots at Baker where he was just completely unblocked. I think Aaron Glenn's going to be able to scheme up things away from Trent Williams on the opposite side. And I think we could see a severe amount of pressure coming from Detroit because, and they're going to have to get home because this secondary can be had. But Jake, the difference is the secondary for Detroit has been a weakness all year and they've still been able to overcome it. Now, this is a game that you could say would sh- rear its ugly head, but I'm not going to count out the Lions, especially with the fact that this is their first championship game they've been to, Jake, since 1991. 
Yep. I'm looking forward to seeing how aggressive Dan Campbell is going to be in that conference championship game. But before we talk about those, Jake, we have to move on to the last divisional round game. And I'm going to start us off with this one, Jake. It was the Chiefs, Bills, Mahomes, Allen. We know the story. Josh Allen has never beaten Patrick Mahomes in the postseason. And he still hasn't. Kansas City came away with the 27-24 win over Buffalo. Now, Jake, this was a very interesting game to me because I thought that this was the best we've ever seen, or best we've seen this season, rather, the Chiefs' offense. They were, there was very few penalties. I think they had two penalties in total and one drop, which is a team, this is a team that has been plagued by drops. I think they led the league in drops. And has been penalty ridden, especially pre-snap. Jawan Taylor, uh, he is he has had more, I believe, 17 penalties alone this season. But Mahomes was efficient. 17 to 23 for 215 and two touchdowns, both of those going to Travis Kelsey. Isaiah Pacheco was effective on the ground, 15 carries for 97 yards and a touchdown. Edwards Hilaire spelled him a little bit, two carries for 31. Highlighted by a 28-yard scamper. Jake, what I found really interesting, though, was Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey combined for 10 of the 23 targets. There was a lot of spreading the ball around. Like, Nico Hardman had a couple, or had a target. Justin Watson had a target. Edwards Hilaire got targeted. Pacheco, he only had one target, which I thought was interesting. I think we might see more of that moving forward. But, Jake, this game really boiled down to two big plays to me. The fake punt call at your own 29 by Sean McDermott and then the fumble by me, Cole Hardman, because those two plays happened on consecutive drives. I don't know why you call a fake punt there. Everyone knew that your punter was hurt. And so I don't understand why you go into it thinking that you could get away with a fake punt, let alone on fourth and five, Jake. It was not like a fourth and one, fourth and two, where you just lower your shoulder. You had five yards to go. And I think when we saw DeMar Hamlin on the field, I think most people knew who was probably going to get the ball, you know, try and make a moment. And it's one of those things that, yeah, if you get it, you're praised. If you don't, you're or shunned, but I don't think there was any way that that was going to work. And then Miko Hardman, I'm sorry, Jake, he should not be touching the ball at the goal line. He should Agreed. not be touching the ball at the goal line. And I hear a lot of people complaining about the rule that if it, if a fumble goes into the back of the end zone, it's a touchback. People think they should get away with that rule. I'm sorry, but that's, I think a good rule. And the reason why I think it's a good rule is because to me, the idea that if a punt goes out of the back of the end zone, it's a touchback. If a kickoff goes out the back of the end zone, it's a touchback. Jake, if the ball goes out the back of the end zone, no matter how it goes out of the back of the end zone, what do you think is going to happen? A touchback. Should be a touch. Yep. So I don't really think that. I know people think it's a dumb rule. It shouldn't be in the game. 
I have no issue with the rule. I think it's a good rule because it rewards the defense in an era that we really can't reward the defense in unless you're getting tur picks or fumbles. It's that defense has already been so handicapped. Why take away something that actually makes a difference and rewards defenders swatting at the ball at people stretching for the goal line? Now, Jake, I do think with the Buffalo Bills, I think I genuinely don't know if they can beat the Chiefs. This was their best opportunity. And Josh Allen, he played okay. 26 of 39, 186 and a touchdown. But Jake, he had, I believe, 19 passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. And he had, I believe, two passes that were completed five yards or more downfield. Now, running the ball, this we'll talk about this when we do our conference championship predictions. The Bills ran it 39 times for 182 yards and two touchdowns. Now, Josh Allen led the charge, but James Cook, 18 for 61, and Ty Johnson had a nice little day of 7 for 40. I think that, also, Jake, Stefan Diggs, he, I think, really cost them this game because that on that final drive, that was a perfect pass by Josh Allen. you got to come down with it. That's a 65-yard touchdown. It was and, probably one of those beautiful deep balls I've seen all year, and it was just, nope, fuck you. I understand it's a hard catch, but in big moments, number one receivers make big plays. Sorry, Stefan, you got to make that one. And ditching the media after that, that's just, that's weak. That's weak shit. That's some weak shit. Now, outside of that, Jake, the defense played pretty decent, but the big key, no sacks by Buffalo. Now, they were injury riddled as shit. I mean, you think about all the players that they were missing heading into this game, Jake. But I genuinely don't know if Buffalo can beat Kansas City just because of the fact that even with all their injuries, this was their best chance because Kansas City has not looked good all year. I think this I'm going to ask you this, Jake. I'm going to swing this over to you. When you look at the Kansas City offense, do you think that this is a trend or do you think this was just a blip? I I think with how the team's been playing, you could kind of see it being a blip, but I think the I think I'm going to make a joke here, but I do feel for Buffalo with this joke. Buffalo, you've dealt with 20 years of bullshit with Tom Brady. Finally, he leaves. Now you got another 20 years of dealing with another fucking quarterback that's going to beat your ass. Only difference is he's only going to kick your ass in the fucking postseason. So I feel for you. You got rid of one boogeyman. Now you got another boogeyman that's just going to haunt you in the playoffs. So, but the team did good enough just to win. I think you said it best. That fake punt on your own 29 was just like, what the fuck are you doing? And we discussed earlier, uh, right after the game, that the time management by the Bills was terrible. Like their play selection, their time management, and 
their final drive was just like it was dog shit if i'm being totally frank oh we yeah. both we both shook our head and said like what the hell's going on here because you had that game in the bag or at least getting it to ot second and nine mm-hmm and yeah. i mean i think the one thing that really made it seem like i don't know if just josh missed it but when you have your best playmaker running a drag route and he is open within with no with no defender within five yards and you take the deep shot to win it all i don't know if he didn't see him or if he thought he could narrow he could throw that ball and his receiver would catch it in the end zone but that play was designed to be great for that type of situation and alan just missed it so i don't i think alan was to blame for a good bit but he did good enough to 62 thirds percent completion and he ran the ball and got two touchdowns because of it so i think the one thing I'm worried about with this is first one with going into next week of the championship, Chiefs have to worry about Joe Tooney being out there. have, they have a capable backup, but he's not an all pro like Tooney. You have to deal with Justin Matabuike in going to get that backup guard. He's going to have a hell of a time. And you saw what Ty Johnson, James Cook, and Josh Allen did. They ran the ball, just those guys ran the ball 30 times for a total of 173 times, 173 times with 37 attempts. Or yeah, so that was almost eh, almost five yards of carry. And the Bills have a good rushing attack, but they're not the Ravens. So if the Bills could do this, the Ravens should be able to run all over this team at least. Oh, yeah. And Jake, real quick, I want to highlight the what you talked about with the clock management. I texted you after the game or I think I, you called me and I told you straight up second and nine from where you were. You're in field goal range. I understand wanting to go for the kill shot. But this was one of the few times where you had been running the ball decently effective. And even if you lose, you were close enough into field goal range. I believe it was a 45 yarder that uh, Tyler Bass missed. If you think about this, if you run the ball two more times, you burn both of Kansas City's timeouts. There's a chance you could potentially break one of those, get closer, and that could be game over or at least overtime. I do think, Jake, that there we've seen Mahomes get a field goal in 13 seconds, which they talked about ad nauseum heading into this game. But I do think that what we at least could have seen is you make Kansas City burn those two timeouts, and then if you do miss the field goal, oh well. I mean, it sucks, but at least you can say, hey, they we missed the field goal and we couldn't stop them on defense. We deserve to lose. To me, I just couldn't help feel but feel that at the end of this game, Kansas City essentially lucked their way out of this one. And I do think that moving forward, 
they're going to be facing a team in the Ravens that is healthy, unlike both the Dolphins, who didn't have a single pass rusher healthy, and the Bills, who had the corpse of Vaughn Miller, who, by the way, Jake, didn't have a single sack in a game mm-hmm. this season. And you were also missing, you know, you were missing Terrell Bernard. You were missing, I believe, Christian Benford as well. Matt Milano, you lost early in the season. You lost your best corner in Trade A White. There was this was a team that was pretty well battered and bruised and just overall beaten down by injuries. I do think that Kansas City moving forward against the Ravens, we're gonna have to see if they can continue to put together promising offensive performances against a team that is healthy and dominant on the defensive end. But Jake, moving away from our divisional game recaps, we have some coaching talk to discuss. Now, when we last recorded, it was an interesting little time. We had, you know, a couple pieces, I think, fall into place with uh, Gerard Mayo and Antonio Pierce. But Jake, we're just going to real quick hammer through these. Uh, starting with the biggest one, Jim Harbaugh did agree to terms with the Los Angeles Chargers, which we pretty much all thought would happen. Now, he did turn down a deal from Michigan that would have made him the highest paid coach in college football. And I do think Michigan thought that there was a chance that he would stay. But I do think, Jake, that this is the right move for Jim Harbaugh because After spending 10 years in college and bringing a championship to your alma mater, returning your alma mater to their former glory, as well as beating Ohio State three times, beating them bad enough that they have questions about their own coach, Ryan Day, who outside of losing to Michigan, I think has lost two games in the last three years. But Jake, what is your takeaway from the Chargers hiring Harbaugh? Because to be honest, I just think that it's finally a step in the right direction for a franchise that honestly has just seemed cursed. You know, honestly, I thought that the Jim Harbaugh hire was like, you know, you're bringing a guy that was a quarterback for you when he was still in the league as a player. He is fresh off of winning the national championship and being undefeated leading the greatest Michigan team of all time, arguably. And, I mean, we saw what he did with J.J. McCarthy, and Justin Herbert is a a vet at this point in the league, and he's a top-five quarterback. Top seven at worst. And we saw what he did with the Niners. When he was with the Niners, he was 44-19-1. So... And the only reason he got ousted from the Niners, and I think we could both agree with this when he was there, was because of a power struggle, right? I believe so, yes. So, he's back in the NFL. He's finally going to be here. He's facing his brother next year, which I think is going to be very interesting to see. Now... Obviously, we can't have a Harbaugh Super Bowl again, unfortunately. But 
I think that he was the best coach for this type of team. He knows the he pretty much we've talked about this. He he's following the Pete Carroll uh, type regime and the uh, who'd you say the Cowboys coach? Jimmy was? Johnson. Yeah, the Jimmy Johnson type. He is going to know all the damn good players the next three to four years coming out of college. So you got at least a guaranteed two or three year stretch of having damn good draft classes. And they don't even have a GM yet. I think if you're going to get a GM, if Harbaugh, because Harbaugh, I don't think is going to be, he's going to have a lot of control, but he's not going to be a Bill Belichick. He's not going to have the GM title, but I think if you get a GM, you get a guy that agrees to the philosophy that Harbaugh wants to run because Harbaugh loves having big body guys. He builds in the trenches, then focuses out. And that's kind of what the Chargers need. They need to build from the trenches because their pass rush is old and takes up a lot of cap. Their O-line the right tackle and one of their guard, they need one, at least one more interior protection or yeah, guard or center and the right tackle. Storm Norton did okay this year, but you can definitely upgrade on that. So absolutely can. Yeah. I think it's a great hire. And I think the Spanos family actually did something good for once, which I'm still going to say is fuck you Spanos. But Hey, the Chargers and your future is bright. Let's hope this is the one head coach that can start me from charging. Exactly, because chargering is a very real thing. And I think if there ever was a coach to pr- get that term out of the dictionary, it would be Jim Harbaugh. Like I said, if Harbaugh can't overturn what has gone on in for the Chargers, both in San Diego and now in Los Angeles, Jake, I think this franchise is just cursed and you just kind of have to throw up your hands and give up. But okay, Jake, so you did your head co- what your first head coach. I want to do my this is personally my favorite one. Okay. Because of what the implications are. The Carolina Panthers with Dave Canales and getting their GM staying in suite with Dan Morgan. Both these guys were with Seattle for a good amount of years. So they know each other personally. Canales fixed Baker Mayfield into having the best year of his career as his OC. Then when Geno Smith two years ago had his phenomenal season with Seattle, his resurgence, Canales was the quarterback's coach. So we've seen him do damn good work with two quarterbacks. Now he has the best quarterback out of the three of those talent wise. I think this is a bright, this is going to save Bryce Young's career. And if, and this is a big fucking if, because we both do not like David Tepper. No. If David Tepper can keep his, uh, not even keep his hands off of football ops, just let Canales do what he needs to do. And help fix Bryce Young. Panther fans, your future is bright. But if your owner fucks it up, don't be surprised. You're probably thinking the exact same thing. But 
I think a, one thing I love, like I said, Canales and Dan Morgan know each other from their time in Seattle. And Dan Morgan is very much a Panther, Panther faithful. He was a former first-round pick for them. He played for them for like seven years, I think. Yep. So he's familiar with the organization. He's an in-suite hire. And Canales, you know, I think he'll do really good work for that offense. I think if you can keep Ivaro as your DC, you got a mean defensive coordinator then staying into the building. You have a tandem of coach and general manager that know each other and will work great together. And you have a guy that most importantly can fix the best position of the most important position in NF in the, in football, which is the quarterback. So there's a lot to look forward to, but your court, your owner could easily fuck it up. I, so I agree with the majority of it. I, I'm going to start with the fact that Jake, I would be very worried mainly because of David Tepper. And I, I actually was talking with someone. I, I, I was telling you this. If Dave Canales can survive a year, that's already a good start because we've seen Matt Rule get fired at the in the middle of the season. And then we saw Frank Reich not even get a full season. Now, 11 games. Exactly. Now, I do think that Dave Canales working with Gino and Baker Mayfield and base getting Gino a pretty big payday and potentially getting Baker an even bigger payday. That does give me some hope with Bryce Young. And I do think that uh, GM Dan Morgan is going to help a little bit because, like you said, because of his time in Seattle, he was around John Snyder and we and John Snyder is pretty well respected in drafts. We've seen the last two drafts that Seattle has had. And because John Schneider had more power and he actually was having more of the draft than Pete Carroll was, we saw the fruits of John Schneider's labor. I think we can see that with Dan Morgan potentially as well. But Jake, it's hard for me to get excited about this team because you have an impulsive clown of an owner. And this roster, to be honest, Jake, is pretty devoid of talent. Now, they had a solid defense. You do still have Brian Burns. But it's hard for me to be excited, Jake, when you're going into a season with your number one receiver still being Adam Thielen a potentially 35-year-old, I believe, Adam Thielen. And Jonathan Mingo, he didn't really have too many flashes. Um, Terrace Marshall doesn't really give me a ton of excitement. LaVisca Chenault, he's been everywhere. Jake, it's hard for me to just get too excited about this hire just because there is a lot of restocking you have to have done. And I like Bryce Young. As a prospect, I think he can be a good quarterback, but you're going to have to shore up that O-line. There is a lot of holes to fill. I think the O-line's the biggest one because we've seen that Bryce Young was getting killed behind the line. I genuinely have more worries about the owner and the roster than I do Dave Canales and Dan Morgan. 
you can be cautiously optimistic if you were to ask me, Panthers fans. But like Jake said, don't be surprised if this all turns into another tire fire. But Jake, moving on from that, Raheem Morris was hired as the Atlanta Falcons new head coach. And Raheem Morris has been there many times, actually. He or he was there with Dan Campbell. I believe he was the D.C. under or not Dan Campbell, Dan Quinn, rather, when they went to the Super Bowl. And then he when Dan Quinn was fired, Raheem Morris took over as interim head coach. And then he did go to the Rams. Sean McVay was the D.C. for them. And now he's back with Atlanta. And he has had another tenure as a head coach. He was with the, I believe, the Buccaneers from, I think, like, 08 to 2011 or so. I believe around the time, I think they had Josh Freeman as their quarterback when that was an experiment. But Jake, I don't, I actually like this hire mainly due to the fact that we saw Atlanta have some flashes on defense. We saw AJ Terrell look pretty good and Jeff Okuda had a nice little career resurgence. I liked their pass rush. Clayus Campbell actually had a really solid year for being, I believe, 38. He's, and he potentially might return. I think he still wants to play. He had, I believe, six and a half sacks, which led the team. But, Jake, when it comes to this hire, I, what I mainly look at is this. You're hiring a defensive coach after having a offensive coach in Arthur Smith. I don't necessarily look at Raheem Morris as a hire of massive growth over a short amount of time. I look at Raheem Morris as a stabilizer and as a potential culture builder because that's what I believe the Falcons need. I think the Falcons need a guy to establish a culture, a physical culture. You have Bijan who is flashy, but he can run between the tackles. Drake London, he is a solid receiver. He's not a explosive monster that we've seen, you know, like a DK Metcalf or you know, Christian Watson, Jake, he's been explosive as well, though oft injured. But Drake London is a solid. He is a number one receiver. And Kyle Pitts is a mismatch all over the field. I think that if Raheem Morris brings in the right offensive coordinator, I like what the Falcons could potentially have. But none of this matters if the Falcons can't get a quarterback. But what do you think, Jake? I think if they can't get a quarterback, you're going to be you're probably going to be stuck with Desmond Ritter for another year, which I think with the weapons you have, you can cover up his mistakes. But I just hope that Raheem Morris can do good. This can do good with the roster he's being given right now, because I have high hopes for Raheem Morris. I've liked him since his tenure after the Bucks, and he's a guy I haven't really followed closely, but I've kind of paid attention to him throughout the last few years. I'm thinking like when this guy gets another head coach opportunity, he's going to take it and probably run with it because we've seen what he's done with, with good defenses. 
He has a good defense here. There's a lot of pieces to work with. You have AJ Terrell, Jesse Bates, Arnold Ebiketti. You, you mentioned Clayus Campbell. And you have some younger pieces on that D-line and the linebacker core you can work with. You also have Jalen Hawkins, which, I mean, I got high hope that Raheem Morris takes the Stevens to another level and you kind of see him become a ground and pound team that you just, you have Tyler Algier, you have Bijan Robinson, you have two headed monster, use them appropriately and then pass the ball when you need to in limited spurts. You're pretty much going to be playing like you have a rookie quarterback or a quarterback that you don't really trust and you're just going to use them in spurts. With the high-end talent you have, you can make up for it. So I think I want to see who they keep at offensive court, who they hire for offensive coordinator before I get my hopes up too much. Exactly. And so, Jake, I think the Falcons can be more optimistic than the Panthers, but I would just strongly caution, if you cannot get a quarterback, nothing really changes. Now, Jake, outside of that, we you do have one other head coaching hire to talk about, and that is the Tennessee Titans hiring Brian Callahan, who was the former offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. And Jake, this I'm, I'm going to just say this right now. This is a head-scratching hire to me for one massive reason. When you talk about how Eric Bieniemy was not really looked at as a head coaching hire. Mm-hmm. And you look at how they would say, oh, he doesn't call the plays. Andy Reid does. Who do you think called the plays in Cincinnati? Because I doubt it wasn't Brian Callahan. It was Zach Taylor. I look at this hire. I'll be honest, Jake. This is to be let, let's call it what it is. And this is not a slight on Brian Callahan at all. I think Brian Callahan has the chance to be a very fine head coach. I do look at this as a bit of a nepotism hire because of Brian Callahan's father, Bill, who has been a very good, good coach, both as I believe a offensive coordinator. I'm pretty sure he was a pretty decent head coach as well, but I look at this as basically finding a guy to take over and sort of just be a yes man after the after Rand Carthon won the power struggle with Mike Vrabel. But I really I I think he has a chance to bring out the best in Will Levis. But I do think that for the Titans, their biggest thing is they need a wide receiver because DeAndre Hopkins, while having a nice season, he is not getting any younger. And Traylon Burks was solid, but I don't. Yeah, he can't stay healthy. And I don't look at him as a number one receiver anymore. But that's sort of my thoughts on it. But what do you think? So I will I have a little more hope or a little more fire with pal with Callahan because I think he will do very good because if you look at, do you remember the 2022 Bengals first half offense that looked like, I wouldn't say a tire fire, 
but it didn't look great. Yes. I've kind of just looked around, heard a lot of people talking, listened to a lot of different podcasts and said Callahan was the reason it came. It went from a tire fire to that elite offense. You saw that led him to that Super Bowl run. I think Callahan will do really good with the offense. I want to see who his defensive coordinator is before I get that side of the ball hyped up. But you said it best. I think that they're going to pass the torch to Tajay Spears. He's going to be a new RB1. I think Henry's out of the building. You need to get a new receiver. I would sign Hopkins to a one-year deal. He's still playing at a decent level. He can mentor Burks and mentor whatever receiver you pick up in free agency or the draft, probably the draft. And, you know, I think the biggest thing after that is I would target a tackle in the first round. Then this wide receiver class is deep. Get two or three of them throughout the draft. Kind of pull like a Packers. Shotgun it. You had they got Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft, and Luke Musgrave last year's draft, and all three play phenomenal. And Octavian Wicks in the fifth. So you had four weapons all contributed as rookies. I think the Titans should do something similar to what the Packers did last year. Take that shotgun approach in the second, third rounds, and then one pick in the later rounds, and go from there. Pick up some depth the O line. And get that high skill guy in the first round with that seventh overall pick. Because we saw Will Levis play pretty good when he wasn't on his ass or running for his life. So you keep Skaronsky at left guard, you pick up Joe Walt or Olu Fushanu or whatever, or JC Latham, whatever tackle you like the most. Pick him up with that seventh overall pick. Stick him at left tackle. You got your left tackle and left guard for the future for the next five to ten years. Work out the rest of your line. Go from there. But I think he'll do. You said. I think you said it best. I think he's going to do great work for Will Levis, and I think that's why you saw a offensive guy hired over a defensive guy like with Mike Vrabel. And I don't think Callahan is going to be a yes man per se, but I don't think he's going to be that loud, bolsterous guy like Vrabel was because Rand Carthon won the power struggle. He is now the voice of that organization. So they wanted probably a younger head coach, someone that wouldn't be a yes man per se, but somebody that wouldn't bark up the wrong ladder or be bolsterous in his own way like a John Gruden type or a Mike Vrabel type. So I like the hire. I think they have a shit ton of work to do on that offense and a little bit on the defense, mostly offense though. And give them two years. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I just, I don't have any confidence when it comes to that, mainly because of the fact that when I look at the, when I look at the Titans, Jake, I straight up, straight up, Jake, I think the Titans have a chance to be worse than the Panthers, even with Will Levis, just because of the fact that while their defense was solid, I don't trust that it'll work as well as when Mike Rabel was coaching it. 
I just plain don't. I think that the Titans, if Brian Callahan cannot get, if he cannot make Will Levis into something special, I think that there's a high chance that he could be maybe one year, two years and done. But Jake, moving on to our conference championship predictions, insight, and picks. Now, Jake, we'll start things off with the 12 o'clock PST game. And that is the Chiefs Ravens AFC championship game in Baltimore. Jake, I think we're both probably in agreement as to who's going to win this game, but what are you going to be looking for? So, sorry, I kind of had a spat. I kind of, what game are we starting with? I Chiefs had a, Ravens. Okay, I thought that's what you said, but I blanked out for a second. I thought we so, agreed that you have coffee before the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you probably should have had more. So, I think that this is going to be. I don't think it's going to be one-sided like we talked about before the podcast. I think the Chiefs are going to have enough firepower to keep it close. But I think we saw, I mean, the Bills ran very, almost for five yards a carry against them. And the Ravens have a much more dangerous pass rush unit. And with Joe Tooney out as well in this game, we talked about it earlier, Justin Matabuike is going to eat. And the rest of that pass rush unit is not going to make life easy on Mahomes. So I think we're going to see both our, both the defensive coordinators for the Ravens and the chiefs pulling out all of the stops because you have two top three quarterbacks. You probably have the reigning it. You probably have the MVP for the year in Lamar Jackson and still a top two quarterback in Mahomes. So, I mean, shit, you really can't, doubt Kansas City here because the minute you think you're going to easily walk in that you're easily going to just let them walk in there and kick their ass Mahomes will pull some bullshit and Andy Reid will just be like eh fuck you I got Mahomes and Kelsey and Spag Nolo will just dial up some bullshit blitz and get a fucking strip sack or an interception somehow so I think the Ravens know this they're going into this game prepared they are not going to look down on the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are not should not look down on the Ravens. I think it's going to be, I think it's the Ravens win by a touchdown, but I see the Chiefs putting up points but struggling in the end because either injuries or inconsistencies at the receiver position. So, Jake, here's where I'm at with this game. I do think that it is going to be very, very similar to what we saw last week with the Texans. I think it is a game that can be very, very close. However, I think at the end, we are going to see Baltimore run away with this game. And the reason why I'm very, very confident in this, Jake, is because of the fact that looking at, looking at, the Kansas City offense and Baltimore's defense. You could all but piece it together, Jake. Everything on the Kansas City offense 
Baltimore has an answer for. Travis Kelsey, Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen. Running Isaiah Pacheco, Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith. You look at the secondary, Marlon Humphrey is going to be playing in this game. And while the secondary for Baltimore could be had a little bit this season, Marlon Humphrey, Jake, we know what he represents. He's still a pretty damn good corner, even coming off of a off year. He's going to be able to match up on Rasheed Rice, and I think he has a good chance of locking up Rasheed Rice. So then, Jake, you're going to be relying on Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Justin Ross, Justin Watson, because Tony is going to be questionable. Sky Moore is out. Jake, I don't look at really anything that the Chiefs offense is going to be able to do outside of finding things to Blake Gray. I just, when I look at this matchup, this looks like the absolute worst matchup for Kansas City, especially because, Jake, like I said, this is a offense that I think that we've seen two blips against two defenses that have been beaten up, battered, injured all to hell. Miami had was missing their three best pass rushers, their two defensive signal callers, and their arguably best corner in Xavier Howard. We ran down the Bills injuries when we were talking about Bills Chiefs. They're missing damn near every star on defense, especially Von Miller, even though he wasn't hurt. He was just bad. I think that this Baltimore team is just a completely different beast as a whole. I think that there's a chance that the Ravens could potentially blow out the Chiefs, but I will say this. You can't really quantify Patrick Mahomes, but I think Lamar Jake also with how he has played, he's going to be able to get around this Chiefs defense. And if Willie Gay doesn't play, remember, Jake, he was supposed to be the spy for Josh Allen. We saw what Josh Allen did last week. And while Lamar's not as big as Josh Allen, he's damn he's damn near er, the flash compared to Josh Allen's Hulk. It's not even close how fast Lamar is. Oh, I think and that he can. I'm going to go. Oh, I was just going to finish off by saying. I think that there's a chance he breaks one for 50 yards. I like the Ravens here potentially big. So there's also kind of a football curse I've seen floating around and I looked into it. I'm thinking like, damn, not wrong. So if a team beats the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs, they lose the very next week. And it has been a thing the past Four or five years, if I remember right. And it's always been the very next time. It was the Texans when they had Deshaun Watson and they marched into Arrowhead. And they were up big. Second half, Mahomes comes out, lights them up, and fucking kicks their ass. Now, then Jake- the, the other example I know is Bengals beat the Bills and they lose to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. But continue. I will say this. We'll we'll leave it off with this. If you think about that, if you couple what you just mentioned, that stat 
with the fact that the Bills ran 31 more plays than the Chiefs. And if you take away the three kneel downs that the Chiefs had, that's 34 more plays. That defense was on the field for 15 minutes longer. That is a long period of time to be out on the field. You're out there basically, Jake, for an entire quarter longer than the opposing team. I think that there's going to be some severe fatigue for Kansas City's defense. And now they're they're catching, they're not really catching a break either because it they're not getting an extra day. These games are on Sunday, just like last week, as opposed to the Niners, which we're going to transition over to Jake. The Niners, Lions, in Santa Clara, Levi Stadium. Jake, this game, I think, is going to be a lot closer than the wise guys are thinking. Because San Francisco, Jake, is favored by seven. You could potentially find seven and a half, maybe eight in some places. I think this is going to be a lot closer game than people realize. Now, we have seen that Debo is not on the injury report, so he will play. But Jake, I'm going to just say this right now. I would not trust what they say about the injury report because Debo could play three, four plays and then be out just like he was last week. I really, really struggle with being able to wrap my arms around this San Fran team that looked like they got completely outplayed. Now, again, Purdy had that final drive. I get it, Niners fans. You can beat me over the head with that all you want. It does not change the fact that for the first three quarters, he looked shook. Now, they did run more plays than Green Bay, 64 to 62, but that is a lot of plays to be out on defense, Jake. 126 total plays in a game. I would be very concerned if I was San Fran because your run defense, like we highlighted, Jake, can be had. And outside of Charverius Ward, your secondary is not great. I am predicting, Jake, if Charverius Ward does not travel with Amon Ross St. Brown and Amon Ross St. Brown gets matched up against Ambry Thomas or Diamador Lenore, he's going to have damn near 200 yards because those guys cannot play. I'm sorry, they they cannot play. Uh, Ambry Thomas, he got burnt often last week. Bo Melton, Jake, he was wide open. Now, the weather, it looks like it's going to be sunny, looking like it might be 69 degrees in Santa Clara, which is going to help Purdy. That is also going to help Jared Goff because while he doesn't, he has been a different quarterback on the road. If the elements are the same, it's basically like playing in a dome. And so as far as San Fran goes, Jake, I think if San Fran's going to want to win, they are going to have to rely on Christian McCaffrey majorly because we've seen the Lions be able to stop the run. But if McCaffrey can get a foothold in this game, that'll open it up for play action for Purdy to then take on this weak Lions secondary. I think that George Kittle deep 
is definitely going to be a thing that he's going to look for because outside of Brian Branch, Jake, their DBs, uh, they leave a lot to be desired. But for the Lions, you can also, I think, Jake, it's going to come down to a battle of the quarterbacks. And I'm going to say this right now. If I was betting, I would take the Lions plus seven easily. I see, sorry, Yawning. I see where you're coming from, and I understand all your arguments, and I agree with a good amount of them. I think Battle of the Quarterbacks is definitely going to be the result, but I think it's also going to be what defense is going to be able to schemat, is going to be able to scheme up more blitzes and pressure packages. Because when you look at the advanced stats and the metrics, Brock Purdy has been one of the best quarterbacks when he's under pressure the entire year. Jared Goff, however, falls onto the low 20s, like 24-20 ranking when he's under pressure when it comes to passer rating, accuracy, and turnover-worthy plays. So, and outside of Trent Williams on that Raiders line, not Raiders, fuck. Outside of that Niners line, I think he's really your only guy you got. And Detroit has guys all over that field. You mentioned you don't trust Debo. I don't trust Frank Ragnow. Because he's going in there with four different injury categories. He is going to be on so much Toradol that he is going to be seeing shit that probably isn't there. And if they lose Ragnow, I don't know how that line's going to operate without their leading man because they don't have the backup like they had last year because he went to Seattle. So I have this is the one game I have a harder time picking compared to the other championship game because I could be I could see this one being swung either side. I think I. I'm going to take the 49ers to win this by a field by like three or four points, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. All right. So Jake, then let's get your picks real quick. Who do you have in the Super Bowl? In the Super Bowl, I am going to have the Ravens versus the Niners. All right. I am going to have the Ravens and the Lions. I think that the I I think the logo I do think that logo uh speculation where the last Super Bowl teams have been the Super Bowl color logo color. I get it, but at the same time I think if it does do that then you're good. If that does happen on some controversial call, then oh boy, you're gonna have a lot of fun denying a script NFL. But as a whole, Jake, I do think if you go to the 10 15 best players in the Lions Niners game, I have it 8 7 Lions over Niners because I am getting the better quarterback, I think, with Jared Goff. And I do think that Omnira St. Brown, Ayuk Laporta, or Ayuk Kittle, 
is pretty much a draw. But if you're wanting to talk about X factors, I'm leaning Jameer Gibbs, who is healthier than Debo Samuel. But Jake, that is going to do it for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow so you never miss an episode. And Jake, do you have any final words before we sign off? Just going to say three words. Don't get eliminated. Oh. And with that, NFL Sunday night. Get it on. And (laughs) all right. So for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. Take it easy.